Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for September 13th, 2023. Why the path to trend inflation may be longer than hoped. The Consumer Price Index jolted higher in August as rising gasoline prices pushed up consumer costs. Core inflation was still elevated too, likely a bigger concern for the Fed. The key question facing economists and the Fed is how long until inflation is under control? The answer may be longer than you think. This is Brian Kirk, and with me today to talk through the factors influencing inflation are Nationwide's Chief Economist, Kathy Bostancic, and Senior Economist, Ben Ayers. Kathy, thanks for joining us today. You've been looking at today's CPI report for August, which showed another increase in consumer prices. Annual consumer inflation moved higher for the second straight month, which means we're not moving in the right direction again. What were your key takeaways from the latest inflation data? Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, the headline inflation number was up a strong six-tenths on the month. It was really boosted by a jump in gasoline prices, which were up on the month 10.6%. Now, that was fully expected. We have the gasoline prices for the month you know, prior to the CPI report. So that really wasn't a surprise. And it wasn't a surprise that energy prices overall accounted for half of, of the increase. And as you said, that did lift the year-in-year year rate from 3.3 to 3.7. Now, while that is not good news for the consumer, it's not necessarily what is worrisome to to the Federal Reserve and, and the long-run outlook for inflation, assuming we don't see gasoline prices continue to rise each month and oil prices right now, which are above $90 per barrel, if they don't rise to 100 then likely, you know, the Federal Reserve sort of looks through this this increase. And what the focus really has to be is, is on the core inflation number. But even there, there's a bit of disappointment. On the month, it was up three-tenths. That's versus uh, our expectation and others of a softer two-tenths rise. Not overly worrisome, though. I mean, in general, we're seeing still the year-in-year rate for core CPI trend lower. But of course, each of the monthly reads, you know, matter. And, and we'll also look like a three-month annualized rate. And and that, you know, did pick up a little bit on the month. When you look into the details, uh, you see shelter costs, which account for the largest share in terms of the component of core CPI. They led the way um, just because of its its outsized share about 40% in core CPI. It was up three-tenths on the month, but it's worth noting that we're seeing moderation in, in, in shelter costs and, and rental inflation overall. The the owner's equivalent rent was up four-tenths on the month. Now, rent for, for primary residence was a little higher, five-tenths, but in general, we've seen a really nice downward trend in and shelter and and rental inflation and that should continue according to to our estimates and really what you see is that uh, rental inflation has captured part of cpi lags home price changes and also real-time rental information that we get from companies like zillow where there was stickiness much more stickiness and and really maybe a surprise to to some not so much to us is that transportation service costs continue to run at a, a very 
uh, rapid pace. And, and in fact, they accelerated jumping 2% on the month and compared to a year ago, up um, over 10%. And within what we call like the super core services, so that's core services excluding rents, the transportation sector is the largest contributor within within that mix. And what we see is that uh, motor vehicle repair costs uh, rose another 1.4% on the month, and they are up a very buoyant 17% from a year ago. Also following suit, uh, motor vehicle insurance costs up uh, 2.4% on the month and up 19% year in year. We also saw Service costs for for rental of car and trucks rise quite sharply in the month, and even things like you know parking fees and toll costs were up 1.5 percent on the month. Airline fees rose 4.9 percent, but that's really very much dictated and underpinned by higher oil prices on the month. Now going back to the super core number, so again that's core services excluded rent. That's really one of the Federal Reserve's favorite measures right now. And the reason you exclude rent is because rental inflation should continue to trend lower. So the Fed wants to see what's happening outside of housing. There, the news was also disappointing. It was up four-tenths on the month and really does reflect the stickiness of inflation on the service side. The three-month annualized rate ticked up from one eight to two three. still overall, pretty much better than, you know, prior months, you know, if we went back a six, 12 months or even prior to that, but it is still sticky. And, and a year and year rate core, uh, super core is, is, is at 3.9%. We really, the Fed Reserve like to see that between two and two and a half percent. Now on the good side, core goods, which exclude food and energy, good news there, down a tenth on the month. And what we saw was that um, used car prices actually fell 1.2%, and that's after falling 1.3 in July. So we're seeing outright declines in used car prices, really very encouraging. And remember, that was one of the categories that really pushed up core goods inflation. To see that reversing gear is, is, is really very encouraging. And core goods inflation overall is has come down quite sharply. It's at four tenths now. That's down from nine tenths year in year in July. And and if you think back to the worst of like kind of the among among the the pandemic period, it was rising twelve percent. So really a nice reversal there on the core goods. It's really the service side again where we still see the stickiness, and the Federal Reserve will want to see it you know further improvement there. Thank you, Kathy. We'll continue to watch that, too. And then let's go to Penn now for some additional perspective and context. You know, with inflation moving up in August, we're still sharply down from the peak we saw in mid-2022. And Ben, what do you think drove this decline and what areas are still seeing pressure? Yeah, thanks, Brian. You know, much of what I'll say will just kind of reiterate what Kathy walked through as far as some of the particularly the breakdown between goods and services. Uh, CPI inflation peaked in June of 2022 at 9.1%. And when you look at where things were at that time, it was really driven by food. Food was up more than 10%. Energy was up more than 41%. And core goods had risen 7.2% over the past year. And it's really been these three factors, again, food, energy, and goods costs that have driven the move down in inflation over the past year and, and a couple months. You know, Flash forward to June of 2023, 
when the CPI kind of sort of saw its recent trough at 3% on a year-over-year basis, food was only up 5.7% at that point and really fading over, as you've seen over the past couple of months. Energy prices had dropped 16.7% and core goods inflation had eased to only 1.4%. So when you're talking about the overall CPI going from 9% all the way down to 3%, really all of that was tied to easing costs as Supply chains improved as we saw more normalization, particularly in the commodity front, when you're looking at energy costs coming off of obviously the disruptions we saw in 2022 around the, the, the invasion of Ukraine. And so we've seen those prices come down over the past year plus. That's really been most of what's caused the CPI to ease. You know, That's the good news. The bad news, as Kathy already laid out, was that housing and service costs, which you know, we're, we're on the rise when you looked over 2022, really took the baton from many of these factors and accelerated over the second half of 2022 and into 2023. And we're still keeping particularly core inflation measures higher as we came into 2023. And that's still the factor that's of most concern right now. Uh, as Kathy laid out in her comments, we have seen that these factors have slowed a little bit in recent months. But again, reiterating, they're very sticky. So you still have shelter costs up 7.3%. As Kathy mentioned, super core inflation is still about 4%. Uh, and that's down a little bit from where they've been. And that's the good news. But we're still seeing these things take longer to retreat. You know, look at wages are still rising quite rapidly. Still too few workers compared to what employers want. Uh, and obviously, housing costs maybe not rising as much as they were, but still climbing. And really about maybe the the trend average for housing cost increases, not seeing anything slowing down enough to really meaningfully slow inflation over the next couple months. And that's likely to keep particularly core CPI inflation very elevated. Uh, right now, again, it's sitting at 4.3% as of August, likely to be still about 4% at the end of the year. Um, that's more than double the Fed's 2% inflation target. And even at the end of next year, we could see core inflation still running about 3%. So the road back to 2%, which is still stated to be the goal from the Fed, that could be quite protracted. Uh, and finally, I'll just say there's unfortunately a little bit more bad news is that much of the downward pressure that we've seen from food, energy, and goods costs, that might be done. Uh, as we mentioned, gasoline prices have climbed again over July and August, and probably will be adding to inflation readings maybe a little bit over the rest of the year. Uh, and when you look at food and goods prices, uh, the, the market for supply and demand there is really largely stabilized. So we're likely to see prices maybe level off from here, and at best, they're just not going to be dropping as quickly as we saw over the past year plus. So many of these factors that were helping the cost environment start to ease and get back to more normal probably not being being as much of a, a help when you look forward for the rest of this year and into 2024. So I think that really shifts the honest to seeing cooler inflation earnings back towards housing, back towards service costs. And again, while we might see some reduced pressure in those areas, it's going to take longer than we think. Uh, and again, extending that pressure and extending the pressure on the Fed when you look from a core inflation reading over the rest of this year and, and really probably over most of 2024 as well. Thank you, Ben. And Kathy, back to you. We just heard Ben mention the Fed's 2% inflation target. And we know at the Jackson Hole Symposium, Chair Jerome Powell strongly reiterated that the Fed's inflation target remains at 2%. So in light of all the uh, factors happening with inflation right now, how hard is it to reach that target? And 
When could we get there? Yeah, it's going to be slow moving as has been laid out. You know, it, it, in our forecast, we don't actually get back to the 2% target until uh, sometime in, in 2025. A big part of that is what's happening on the service side. The tightness in the labor market, you know, wage growth has moderated, but overall still re- running above you know, the pre-COVID levels for, for wage growth. And, and that continues to put upward pressure on uh, input costs for companies. And they will do their best to pr- protect their profit margins. And they will try to pass on the higher input costs to, to consumers. So that's why it's very difficult to really get um, this service inflation to unwind as quickly as the, the good side of the economy has. And, you know, I think when the the chairman was asked about the 2% target. He had no choice but to come out very forcefully and, and reiterate that, you know, that is the target. They're not changing it because to do otherwise would unnerve the financial markets, particularly the bond vigilantes who would think that the Fed's gone soft on inflation. You know, if for some reason the Fed said, well, we'd like to get back to 2% theoretically, but if we we would accept maybe, you know, something slightly higher and, you know, certainly not above 3%, but let's say that the, the question is, well, if it got down to 2.8 or two and a half with the Federal Reserve, call that a victory, even though it's not back to target. Now, we don't know that may ultimately sort of play out as the Fed decides monetary policy. And again, it's, it's not something we think they even have to consider in, in 2000. Uh, 24. It's really a 2025 story. But whether the Fed actually kind of quietly would acquiesce and and accept victory, even if not back at two percent target, again the chairman and 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 really none of the Fed officials could endorse that. So it, it's a bit of a, a psychological aspect as well. You know that said, I do think that they do believe that is an important uh, mark and, and a goal to get back to. But the question would be, for instance, let's say we're at two and a half percent and to get to two percent, you know, squeezing that last half a percent out could be very painful for the economy. Is it worth engineering a very you know deep recession to get that? That will be the question at some point they, they may have to uh, to struggle with. But for now, you know, I think they're encouraged by the trend, you know, that Ben and I talked about a little bit of a setback maybe this morning on the super core number. But in general, you know, inflation seems to be cooling, um, but but it's going to be very gradual. Yeah, it sounds like the Fed still has a lot to consider over the next year. But shifting back to the present, the Federal Open Market Committee meets next week. And Ben, what are we expecting from the Fed next week? And does August CPI change anything? Yeah, great question. We've heard from Fed officials a lot in recent weeks, and it's been pretty much a united front that the Fed will hold rates steady in September. Obviously, they keep the option of potentially moving higher, but they've clearly signaled to markets and signaled to everyone that they're likely to hold this month. So kind of following the trend that we've seen, they've skipped June and they raised rates in July after seeing, unfortunately, some stronger data up to that point. And, and now as you shift ahead to September, they're looking to another skip. And, and as a reference to, we are seeing some signs of cooling. The labor market has cooled off, job openings have slowed, job growth has slowed, wage gains have slowed a little bit. You know, So you're seeing things moving in the right direction there. And I think, obviously, 
notwithstanding the higher super core number that we got for the CPI this morning, uh, the trend for inflation has really improved in recent months as well. Following that suit, financial markets really are pricing at about a 90% chance of a Fed hold next week. So it would be a big shock if the Fed did change course and decide to raise rates, given the messaging so far, and really given even some of the data that we've seen in recent months that have shown things moving in the right direction, albeit it's obviously still a little slower, a little more herky-jerky than I think the Fed would like it. Obviously, we're not out of the woods yet, though. You know, high core services remains very high, and it's a big thorn in the side for the Fed. And overall, consumer spending really hasn't weakened enough to meaningfully put inflation back onto a track to 2% anytime soon, as we've already laid out. You know, it's slowed down a little bit, but even if you take these rates and annualize them, we're still trending towards a 3 to maybe 3.5% inflation rate, not down to the 2 to 25 that the Fed would like to see. So if we do see some upside surprises to the data, you know, in the coming months, that could move the Fed to raise rates again at their last two meetings over the rest of the year in mid-November and then later in December. Uh, I think the odds are of that are lower, um, but they're definitely not zero. And you know, Fed fund futures show about a 40% odds that the Fed raises rates one more time this year. I think that's about right. Uh, you know, it's not quite a coin flip. I think it leaned toward not seeing a move, and that's what we have in our baseline forecast. But certainly there is that optionality if the data does remain strong, and it certainly puts some upward pressure potential on the Fed to raise rates one more time. Next week, we'll also get the Fed's quarterly summary of economic projections, which surprised in June by showing an additional two rate hikes over 2023. It'll be interesting to see if that extra hike is still there. They've moved once. Do they still show that um, over the last two meetings of the year? And obviously, people are going to be focused on 2024 as well. How much does the Fed potentially put in their rate cuts over the next year? You know, A lot of market expectations that they're not going to do very many over 2024. We're to see, obviously, what Fed officials and their own projections are showing for next year. And it's also going to be telling what the SCP shows going forward for the economy. You know, in June, there was an implicit soft landing shown. Is that still there? Or do they point a little bit more to the downside given what's happened over the past couple of months? So a lot to digest next week. You know, Kathy, I'm curious on your thoughts on what you're expecting next week and obviously what you see over the rest of the year as well from the Fed. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I mean, as you, you laid out, um, it's very likely that they're um, going to stand pat uh, next week, the Federal Reserve. You know, that, that's been the guidance. There was nothing in today's data that was alarming enough to get them to switch gears. And, you know, if they did, it would probably unnerve the markets and, and send a less, you know, signal of less confidence. Like the Fed markets would send us a less confidence in the Fed. So it, it really very unlikely we'll get uh, any change in policy. But as you laid out, Markets will be watching very closely the uh, revised macro and interest rate dot plot estimates. And I think also the um, Fed Chairman Powell's press conference, always very important. And, and it could be that this morning's data, while overall still showing a, a disinflationary trend, the fact that the core number was a little sticky could color the chairman's comments a bit in the press conference. So maybe the verbal guidance still sounds a little hawkish, maybe even more hawkish than if we had gotten a very benign, you know, totally benign reading this morning. You know, our base case is the Fed is done tightening for this for this cycle. But the, the odds, I think the market has it about right, you know, somewhere about 40, 50 percent odds of 
a tightening by the end of the year because it's very close, right? It, it, it's going to be very dependent on the incoming inflation numbers. Labor market will matter. Overall growth will matter uh, as well. But really, the inflation calls the tune here. So the you know, Fed will want to maintain that hawkish bias, but obviously will be encouraged by the readings that the, they've seen so far. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you, Ben. Also, it's been a great discussion on inflation. Tune in next week as we react to the September FOMC meeting that we're just talking about. And we'll listen closely and see if we can get an update on the Fed's outlook. Until next time, for Nationwide Market Insights, this is Brian Kirk. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide Inn and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2023, Nationwide.